Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Dan Kerr, who's an Alexander Technique teacher in New York City. He teaches in Brooklyn, in um, uh, the Park Slope and Carroll Gardens area. He also teaches in Manhattan, Upper West Side, and Union Square areas, and he's... um, specializes to a certain extent in working with swimmers and um, he he teaches people to swim who have a fear of water or injuries that might keep them out of the pool um, and we're going to talk about his work in that field uh, Dan welcome to the show thanks for having me Robert Thank well you. it's a it's a pleasure talking to you um, before we get into your work with swimmers could you uh, give our listeners a very brief description of the Alexander Technique? Sure. It's a process for synchronizing mind and body, mm-hmm. a way of coming to learn about one's habits in, in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And, and changing the ones you don't want, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a key, a key ingredient. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, 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 it has a wide variety of uses. Um, I think in a subsequent podcast, we're going to talk about its application for, for chronic pain. But uh, t- right now, we're going to talk about its application in, in swimming. Um, maybe you could give a little overview of why, of, of sort of what are the issues that come up for swimmers that you, uh, you can help them with. So I, I guess there's two main issues that I, I think I tend to work with and see in swimmers, and they're, and they're a little related. The first one is some kind of apprehension or fear of water, which could range from as subtle as the person is just kind of uncomfortable when water touches their face. So when they have to breathe, they just feel a little, uh, it feels uncomfortable. And that's at one end of the spectrum. And then at the, and this person could be, by the way, an accomplished swimmer. They could swim many, many laps. But still, for breathing for them, putting their, when, when the water splashing their faces are breathing, it's a little uncomfortable. And then the other end of the spectrum are people who are terrified of water. They maybe have had some near-death experience in, in water. And, um, and so what tends to happen is that because of the person's fear of water, all along the spectrum, that tends to result in a lot of things. One is excess muscle tension. The person is really tight uh, and very apprehensive and nervous. And so anytime that they pick their feet up off the bottom of the pool, they're kind of trying to stay afloat. And the way that people often try to stay afloat, try to keep their heads above water, is by gripping and tightening. And what that really does is sink the person. It makes them more dense and they don't really receive the benefits of buoyancy in the same way as a relaxed swimmer. And then, so then the whole process of swimming becomes extremely challenging because they're constantly fighting the water. Um, so that's, that's one issue. And then the other issue are people who maybe already have developed some swimming skills, but they either have some kind of nagging injury or surgery or something like that, and the way that they swim causes them pain. They're, and that's just, that often happens, like, for instance, in front crawl, people tend to get a lot of rotator cuff injuries or neck pain. 
because of just kind of improper form while swimming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I swim pretty regularly myself. Um, I'm not, uh, I have a fairly limited repertoire of strokes. I'm not, I swim just for the fun of it. But I observe people in the pool a lot. And I can see what you're talking about in that first first uh, point that you made. People who, at the extreme, uh, people who never get their head in the water the whole yeah. time they're swimming. And I'm always amazed at that because um, they're, they're doing it by, by typically, it seems to me, by pulling their heads pretty far back on their necks, really tightening there. And as you say, the, uh, their whole body has got to tighten around that. You can't really just tighten your neck without tightening everything else. And so I see them swimming kind of daintily through the pool, but not uh, not really getting the advantages of of swimming as an exercise. That that's right. I mean, the the kind of the interesting thing that I uh, that I feel like I I've started to really see in students is that um, in order to really float, in order to properly float, and I mean, and I this could be floating on your back in a pool or just floating while you're swimming front crawl or breaststroke. All of swimming to some degree involves floating and then moving your arms and your legs. Mm-hmm. And in order in order to float, you actually need to let yourself sink just just for maybe a second or so. And what you'll notice is you start to go in. It's like if you drop if you if you put an ice cube in water, it bobs down and then it bobs back up to the top. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what a person does. A person doesn't hit the surface of the water and stay flat. We go down a little bit and then we bob back up. But if you're terrified of water, you're not going to let your that bob feels like drowning. That and so you never let that happen, mm-hmm. and you never really get to actually get the benefits of of floating. Because because the the physics of it would be that if you're tightening yourself, you're also making yourself denser. And uh, that, in turn, makes it more likely that uh, you're not going to float. It, it takes away from your floatability, so to speak. It, exactly. And, and I think there, floating, to some degree, is like a misnomer. I, I actually talk to my students more about getting them to learn how to sink, you mm-hmm. know, because if you sink, if you let yourself sink, you will then float again, whereas if you just try to float, that that can often have a lot of kind of efforting and kind of a frantic quality for some people. So if someone is comfortable with getting their head in the water, if, if they're comfortable with that part of the process and can just say, okay, I'm fine sinking, you're saying there's kind of a natural upward movement that's going to come after the initial descent. That's right. Now, it may not, you know, everyone's body kind of density is a little different. Some people are, are more buoyant than others, so they may not completely be on top of the water. But almost everyone that I've worked with, it, uh, including people who formerly would just sink straight to the bottom, once they stop the clenching mm-hmm. and the gripping, there is some buoyant, buoyancy uh, that they gain in the water. Mm-hmm. And um, now, how about for someone who I, I would think that someone who is actually terrified of getting their head in the water or their face in the water, 
that's going to require a bit of extra work on your part. Is that correct? It, yeah, it is. It's a this kind of introduction to the water, and you really have to, you know, I think the thing that often gets kind of skipped over in a lot of swim instruction is the importance of basically a person's state of mind in the water. And it's not just a mechanical thing for a lot of people. You know, it's not just they don't know how to put their head in the water. It's that it's uncomfortable. And so often what I'll do with someone in the beginning is have them bring water to their own face as if they were, you know, make kind of cupping their hands in the water and bringing it up to their face. So it's they kind of control that and get used to what it feels like to have water on the face. You so, know? And then so they we, might be standing in the pool and just uh, grabbing a couple of handfuls worth of water and splashing it on their face. Yeah, and, and, pra- and practicing, you know, often what, the, their face will kind of contort out of some sense of discomfort. And so getting, getting able to, over time, be able to have water touch the face and and have the face stay relatively relaxed and okay. And then from there, then we start to lower down, and then the, mouth, then the lips go in, you know, and mm-hmm. then you blow the bubble, and then, and then up to the nose. And, and so it's this kind of gradual thing, you know. Mm. That's, a real, that's an interesting uh, process. I had never, never thought of that as a way of, of working with someone with that fear. It's a little hard for I, I know that this issue of fear of getting your head underwater is a big one, for some people it's it's a little hard for me to identify with it because i started swimming at around age five you know in a lake in new hampshire and and um this never occurred to me there was anything to worry about but i i could imagine for some people that would be a huge huge issue so that's uh yeah yeah it's like yeah go ahead i was just gonna say you know it's like uh you know as a kid, uh, you know, I remember when I was really young, a dog like really snapped at me and, uh-huh. and almost bit me. And for a long time afterwards, every time I was around a dog, mm-hmm. I was really kind of uncomfortable and scared. And so I think it's similar, like a person who gets thrown off a horse or off a bike. Mm-hmm. It then mm-hmm. takes this kind of, it's a process then to get comfortable again with it. And it, I mean, just in general terms, the the Alexander technique is pretty good at helping people uh, identify those patterns in a, in a fairly precise way, and then l- learn how to to let go of them, and you know you know you know just ordinary day to day activities, and and you're basically carrying that over into swimming with some imaginative techniques to deal with the the water and and so on, right? Yeah, that be a fair way of of describing it. That's right. Yeah. Um, so the other thing you mentioned was was people who are, are are basically okay with being in water, but have some sort of an injury, and I would guess also people just have some sort of a habitual way of moving that is uh, carries over into the use of their arms and legs in the pool that is interfering with with the efficiency of their swimming. Could you say a little little about that? Yeah, I think that's actually that's a good way of talking about it. It's not always injury. Like you said, it's often people's habitual ways of moving or applying effort. And the kind of wonderful thing about water as a medium is that it's incredibly responsive and kind of gives you a lot of feedback 
about mm-hmm. how you're moving. So peop, there are certain people when you watch them and it seems like they're swimming through a different medium than the person in the lane next to them because they're thrashing mm-hmm. and they're not getting anywhere and the person next to them looks like, you know, they're barely exerting any effort and they're kind of gliding through the water. And so, you know, I do work with people and, you know, as in anything in the Alexander Technique, a lot of it begins with what is our neck, head, and back doing? What is that relationship? And Because if the person can start to ease up and lengthen as they swim, it really allows them to start kind of cutting through the water in a much more efficient way rather than someone who's very compressed and tight who's really not gaining much traction or purchase in the water. So let's say that someone has a, a way of moving their arms that's uh, not efficient. Um, would you work with them initially uh, out, um, not in the pool, but or would, you, or would you start right in the pool with them? It's, it's a good question. I've done both. So sometimes if I've done longer workshops where there's like a dry land component, Mm-hmm. There is sometimes like great value in actually working with people outside of the pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, normally when I'm seeing a student, it's for 45 minutes or half hour or something. And so what I'll do is I'll work with them standing up in the shallow end uh, mm-hmm. for first and then and then start to work with them going horizontal in the water. So they would be standing in the shallow end of the pool. You might be working, say it's a, a shoulder, head, neck, shoulder issue you're addressing You'd be doing kind of traditional hands-on and verbal instruction. The only difference being you're both standing in water, right? And, and, yeah, and yeah, then, that's really and, it. And then you would get them to basically take what you've shown them into, into swimming, where, of course, it's going to be tough for you to have hands-on or even verbal instruction. But you're basically going to get them to transfer what you have taught them, take it right into into swimming. That's right, and there's there and there's two kind of components. One is um, that I it's really important that we kind of ease in sometimes without the student even knowing that we're easing into swimming. So I'll have them do work on the arm choreography, standing up, and maybe they'll take a couple steps while doing the arm movement, and then they'll just kind of glide off into the water and do that arm movement. And I really emphasize with the student kind of not thinking that they're swimming, not, not trying to get anywhere. Because when they try to get somewhere, if they try, or if they feel I'm going too slow or whatever, then their old habits start to creep in. So it's really kind of almost not calling it swimming in the beginning. That's, that's one thing. And then the other thing is I do put hands on while people swim. I've kind of worked out some Really? How do, you, how do you do that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, careful not to get hit with their flying hands uh, out of the water. Um, well, you know, for instance, in front crawl, uh, I'll be kind of walking backwards through the water uh-huh. and like in a monkey position, you know, like with, uh, with my joints bent. And uh, they'll be bringing their hands. They'll be swimming towards me. And I'll be kind of taking their hands and helping giving this message of lengthening, uh-huh. uh, you know, the fingers coming towards me, and also helping them with the timing, too, of the timing of the arms. So I'll just keep kind of going with them. Or sometimes I'll put my, head, my hand on the back of their neck while they're swimming as well. So, you know, all sorts of ways, grabbing their, you know, using their legs a little bit. 
Wow, you're going to have to walk pretty quickly, though, aren't you? Backwards through the water. Yeah, if it's a off. really fa- if it's a fast swimmer, it can be pretty challenging. Yeah, I can't, I'm having a hard time imagining that, but I but the, that would that would be a fantastic way to help someone to to actually have your hands on while they're while they're swimming. Um, I I I'd like to just throw out a little uh, experience that I had uh, in the pool maybe four or five months ago. I was actually waiting for a lane to open up, and I was watching this guy who was a very athletic swimmer. I mean, he was he was a v- extraordinarily strong swimmer, and but he had it struck me that he had a quite a dramatic asymmetry in his arm movements that one arm mm. came up quite came up in a very different way than the other and when he got out I've never done this before but I asked him if he'd had some injury with his um his shoulders or arms and he said yeah and um we ended up I just spent about a minute or two I said you know I just did a little body mapping I didn't do any hands on cuz it seemed kind of inappropriate but I just I asked him to, uh, I pointed out to him the kind of classic body mapping thing, where are your shoulders attached to your torso? And of course, like most people, he had no idea. And we, you know, we mapped it out where his clavicles came into his sternum. And, you know, he got, I got him to notice there was movement there when he moved his arms. And I said, why don't you just go back in the water and just swim a couple of laps and just know that there's movement in those two, that where those two joints are. And it was amazing what it did to his swimming. So, mm. so that, that's, that's the only time in recent years I've done any Alexander teaching to, in, in, in the pool or involving mm. swimming directly. But um, I guess the, the message in all of what we're talking about is that the technique is is a very powerful way to improve the way you swim, whether you're swimming poorly because of fear of the kind we talked about or injury or just a general habit that's getting in the way. Um, is there is there anything else, uh, Dan, that you want to mention about swimming and the Alexander technique? Um, you know, one of the interesting things I think as well, you know, the Alexander Technique has a lot of application for breathing. And so mm-hmm. for many people, breathing is kind of the final frontier in terms of comfort in the pool. Um, they, their stroke may be very sound mechanically, but the breathing stages are still fraught. So just that it's been interesting and continues to be interesting for me because the whispered ah, which is a procedure that we have in the Alexander Technique of mm-hmm. this gentle exhalation i use that all the time in swimming and i find it very helpful with swimmers Mm -hmm. and that's just basically a way of encouraging a student to let the air come out in order that fresh air can come in would you would that be a simplified way of describing that yeah and that's exactly the point is that we sometimes swimmers sometimes hold their breath and so then when they turn to breathe they have to exhale all the stale air first mm-hmm. and then and then have an inhale and that can sometimes right. either take too long or, or be too much pressure or they may they may not get all that stale air out and so yeah. then they're trying to they're bringing in fresh air against 
partially full system of old air. That, exactly. that kind of problem. Well, I think uh, I think this might be a good place to end our conversation. Um, my 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 guest today has been Dan Kerr, who teaches the Alexander technique, and in particular, in addition to teaching it in more traditional ways, also teaches uh, uses it to teach swimmers. And uh, he he he's a teacher in New York City and in Manhattan. We're going to put a, a link to his website by the interview. So if you live in, in the New York area and anything we've talked about intrigues you, you can get hold of him. We'll also put a link to a website that has more general information about the technique and it will enable you to find a teacher wherever you are. And uh, before we end, Dan, what would you say to a swimmer who is intrigued by this doesn't live in your area, but maybe there are Alex- Alexander teachers where you live. Do you think it would be useful to have, say, more traditional Alexander lessons? Would they carry over into your swimming? Very much so, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, working on the general way one approaches movement, the way one organizes one's arms and shoulders, it, it's all very it all kind of feeds into, I think, the same kind of, um, the same kind of efficiencies that, that, we're, that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So if you're a swimmer and you you're, you're have a sense that your swimming isn't what it could be, uh, and you don't live near Dan, um, find a teacher in your area, and it's quite likely that that teacher will be able to help you uh, improve your swimming in a, in a some slightly more indirect way uh dan thanks so much for being on the show uh my pleasure robert thank you i enjoyed it